Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. There. And this is the story of the Bible, and it's the foundation of our Christianity, right? Like, it's what gives us an identity, it gives us significance, it gives us hope, it gives us purpose, it gives us a calling, it gives us assurance. And it's made up, this overarching biblical story, this meta-narrative is made up of the stories of the Bible, but also your stories. Each of you is a story, right? You live, you have millions and millions of stories in your life. But you are a story, and your life is a story. And it's, and it's one where Everyone has their story, and everyone has a calling, and your calling is to make something unique known about God that only your story can tell. Her story can't tell her story, or his story can't tell his story. They're different. And so we all have different callings because our stories are different. Next week, we're going to talk about a little bit more practically, how do we discover our own stories? and callings. Uh, I also talked about how calling, our calling is to reveal God through our character. So that's kind of like an overarching one for you, for calling. So it's a big story, big calling, and so uh, that's why your story matters. That's why it's important. This morning we're going to talk about the Christian S-word, so we better pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, that you have given it to us. You have not remained distant, but you have pursued us and showed us, shown us what you want from us. Lord, would you send Holy Spirit here and that he would work and encourage us and challenge us and convict us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to talk about everything. Okay? Everybody says sermon's supposed to be about one thing. That's my one thing. Everything. Everything that you are, everything that you have, everything that you want, whether it's tangible, whether it's intangible, everything. Everything. Okay? When I was in seminary, my wife was also there with me. She didn't go to seminary, but she was my sugar mama. And um, <laughs> one of the things that we used to do to make money was we would house sit. And we got in with this um, couple, older couple, they were wealthy, and we got to house sit for them. And they're taking us through the house, and they're showing us the different rooms and all the different things, and their indoor pool, and it's like, oh, wow, okay. And then they took us to the garage, and I could tell something was up because the, 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 the man started to get excited. They opened the door, and there is the latest Aston Martin from the James Bond movie that came out two years before. And it was like glowing. And I'm not a car guy at all, but I thought, I know. This is the kind of car that car guys get excited about, <laughs> right? Like, it's this. And over and over, they told us, do not drive the Aston Martin. <laughs> you can drive the Beamer, but not the Aston Martin. 
But what was really interesting to me was that the wife says, I kind of don't like it. And I'm like, come again? What? She said, yeah, because of the, because of the clearance, it makes it really hard to go over speed bumps. And for the same reason, because of the incline of parking garages, we can't park it in a parking garage because it's hard to get in. And so we'll, we'll park it in a parking lot, but we're afraid it's going to get scratched. And we can't really park it on the street because we're afraid it's going to get stolen. And then she kind of just throws this in kind of flippantly, and she says, it's like this thing controls us. And I was like, ooh. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you might not have an Aston Martin, but you know what that feeling's like. To be controlled by something that you have and you're so worried you might lose it. Right? To get so anxious about whether or not you have this still. To be so anxious and like you're grasping for control. I don't want to lose this. I have to have this. It's because we struggle to let our possessions go. We struggle to let our possessions go. And so this morning, I want to look at this idea of the Christian S-word through the lens of the biblical story, okay? We're going to have three points, very easy, okay? First one, God owns everything. Like, oh, you went to seminary for that, David? Like, yes, I did, thank you. Look at, uh, look at the screen, not your bulletin, because it's wrong in the bulletin. Uh, Psalm 24. Where are we going to go? I don't use this much. There we go. Okay. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means like, and everything in it. That's how the NIV translates it. The world and all those who dwell therein. So everybody in it. For he was, for it was, he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And see what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is God owns everything. Not you. You don't own your stuff. God owns it. It belongs to you, but God owns it. God owns everything. And then we usually think, like, what I possess is mine, and I can do what I want with it. And what I want to say is, no, what you possess actually belongs to God. It's God's. So your money is not yours, it's God's. Your financial portfolio, your 401k, not yours, God's. God is the owner, okay? Not your house, not your TV, not your computer, not your iPhone, not your MacBook, not your iPad, not your table, not your bed, not your car, not your office, not your books, not your intellect, not your fitness, not your pets. They're not yours, they're God's. God owns all those things. 
They're gods. I'm not done. Clothes, body, body type, food, abilities, your Instagram account, children, family, parents, coworkers, boss, friends, neighbors, church. They're gods. God owns all. Still not done. Your time, your sexuality, your gender, your singleness, your marriage, your mind, your spiritual gifts, your health, your job, your achievements. God owns all of these things. They're His. Right? And if He is the creator of all things, where the passage in your bulletin, I'll actually use it, Genesis 1-1, like God created the heavens and the earth. God is the creator, God is the owner, and God is the author of the story. And we get that wrong a lot. There's a, there's a famous story, and so I kind of think about it sometimes, about whether or not it's actually true, but it's about John Wesley in the 1700s. And he was in town one day, and there was all this commotion. And he sees people kind of like starting to run and hurry this direction. And so he's like, well, I want to go see what everybody else is concerned about. And so he starts to go with them. And as he goes with them, he starts to see they're running towards my place. And as he gets up close, he sees his house is burning down. And he sees it. And his famous line is, look, the Lord's house is burning down. I guess that's one less possession I have to worry about. And it's not that he didn't care, because he obviously did care about his house burning down, but he had freedom from it, right? He wasn't controlled by the thing that God had given him. He understood his calling was with God's things, and he had freedom to live without fear of losing things. Man, I want that freedom. You know, I got a new pair of shoes, and I'm like, stay away, kids. Don't scuff these bad boys. You know, like, golly. What would it look like to have freedom like that? Rather than anxiety and grasping and freaking out, right? We have these ownership issues. And I want to say, like, don't you want to let that go? I mean, you know how that feels to grasp onto something and it's like, I have to have this. Like, you know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. And I want it to be different. I want it to change. I want to experience freedom. Because really the illusion, it's an illusion. It's an illusion that you have any sort of ownership of what you have. God owns it. Okay? And when we begin to understand that God, it's actually God who owns our things, not us, then we're going to have that freedom, freedom to let go, freedom to stop worrying, freedom to turn control over to God, right? It's an illusion that you have any sort of control over everything that I just read, all those things. They're God's. That's point one. Point two, 
If God's the owner, well, then what do we do? We are called to be his managers, okay? Not assistant, but full managers, right? God calls us to manage his things. God calls us to manage his things. We've looked at this passage a couple of times uh, already, but I'm going to use it again because it's such an important one. Thank you. Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Remember, this is the beginning of the, of the Bible, chapters 1 and 2. It's before the fall when all things were good. Genesis 1 to 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. And he says, and over all the earth, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, created humanity, male and female, he created them. And then what does God say to his people? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what is he saying here? He's saying, I want you to manage my creation. I made this and I'm giving it to you. And I want you to manage it. Okay? Did you notice it said dominion twice? I tried to emphasize that in my reading, right? Dominion. What does it mean to have dominion over something? It's to control it. It's to care for it. Right? And God is calling us to be managers of his things. And I'm going to say the word right now. The Christian S word. You ready for it? Stewardship. Right? Everyone hates that because they're like, oh, Dave is going to make me feel guilty now. I'm going to feel shame. I haven't given money. He's going to tell me what to do with my things. Yeah, I am. (laughs) Right? Like, we get defensive and kind of are like, whatever. But God calls us to stewardship by managing his things. He calls us to steward all the things that he's given to you. And we're to steward them in managing things. And here's my definition for the Christian S word for stewardship, free of charge. It is... Stewardship is using the things the owner has given to accomplish the same goal as the owner. Okay? Using the things the owner has given to accomplish the same goal as the owner. Also, when we lived in seminary, we lived in an apartment complex of seminary students, and it was like 10 minutes from the airport. So giving somebody a ride to the airport, no big deal, not like here. Okay, so my friends said, hey, will you give us a ride to the airport? And I was like, yeah, I'll give you a ride to the airport. Your car's awesome. It's better than mine. And so being the great friend that I am, I took them to the airport and dropped them off. They said, hey, you can drive our car while we're gone for a few days. And I was like, okay, (laughs) see ya, right? And I get back on the interstate and I'm like, let's see what this puppy can do. 
And around 120, I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't even get up to 80. I'm driving the car, I got it floored, but then I stopped. I didn't stop all the way, but I took my foot off the gas and I said, my friends would not drive their car this way. So why am I driving their car this way? Do you see that? Like the stewarding of it for the common goal. They're not using the car to go on a joy ride on the interstate. It's a car to help you get around. And me stewarding it needs to treat it like a car that's for driving around, not racing on the interstate. And it's, it's, it, it forces us to ask the question, what is it that God has given me to steward, right? And it's not just your money. It is your money, but it's everything else too. All those things from that list, right? All those things from that list, they've been entrusted to you to have dominion over them like Adam did. Adam was to manage the garden and have dominion over it. And you see, in the, there's kind of an, a hierarchy in creation, right? There's God, who then makes man to manage his creation. So there's this hierarchy of God, man, creation, or possessions, right? God, man, possessions. And I want you to think about the Christian story, the big overarching story, the biblical story that we've been talking about. Think about creation. We've talked about it, how... God created the world and then gave, gave it to Adam and said, have dominion over it, right? And then we know what happened in Act 2. Act 2 is where they betray God. They mismanage his things for themselves. Treason, betrayal, sin. And yet, when that happens, it's like he takes that hierarchy and goes, and all of a sudden, possessions are up here, and man's right here, and God's at the bottom. But what does God do? He doesn't chunk his tainted possession. He doesn't say, you've corrupted it too much. He says, there's still goodness, and I'm going to restore it. I'm going to redeem it, and I'm going to restore it. And so he sets out on this plan, you know, in Genesis 3.15, of this promise of a Savior. And you can follow that through the Pentateuch, the first five books. You can follow it through the Old Testament, you get to the New Testament, and you realize that's Jesus. Jesus is the one to come and cure us of our treasonous mismanagement. And he dies to buy us back from our betrayal, to buy us back from our sin, to buy us back and make us sons and daughters of God. And Jesus does this by dying on the cross. And you know the story. Three days later, he's risen from the dead. Right? And he appears to hundreds of people. But then he says, okay, I can't stay, but I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit. So he ascends to heaven. And he leads us to Acts 2, where his, his Holy Spirit is given to us. 
And you see that in this promise and in the work of the Holy Spirit, and we'll get into that in just a second, but you see where the story is going. The story is creation, fall, and that's the problem. Redemption, that's fixing it. And restoration is making it right again. It's repairing it to what it should have been. Right? Think about restoring an old car. It's not a new car when you restore it. It's the same car, but you've renewed it. You've restored it to what it was supposed to be. And that's what our common goal is. That's where the biblical story is going, and that's where we're called to steward, to steward with that goal in mind. Okay? Number three. So, God is the owner. We manage his things for a common goal. For a common goal, right? In Acts 2, there we go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And they were, thank you. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Okay, what's happening here? The Holy Spirit is coming and working in God's people, and they are acting in a way that's working towards restoration to the way it was supposed to be. Okay? They're selling their possessions. They're distributing their proceeds. They're giving it all away. For what? For the common goal that our story is going to and that they were working to, and one day, someday, it will happen. Final restoration. Act 4. Okay? You see it in verse 47 when it says, I want, he says, and the Lord added to their number day by day. So you're, they're managing their things like God wanted them to, and God was converting people and having people join in and making them bigger. So in quantity, the goal is happening. But you also see it in verse 42 through 43 about how they devoted themselves to the teaching and awe is coming upon their souls. They believed and had all things in common. They're working towards restoration. They're working towards the way it was supposed to be. They're working towards, you know, the goodness and the beauty that God created us to do and to be. And he's doing it, like, not just in quantity, but also in quality. In quality. And so they're managing, managing their things, and their numbers are growing, and those numbers are growing strong and fruitful. In every, in every aspect, in all things. St. Augustine is an old church father, you know. He wrote a book called On Christian Doctrine. 
And in it, he distinguishes instruments and ends, like goals. Hashtag goals is, you know, cool now. Maybe not anymore, but it was once. <laughs> but anyway, instruments and ends. And you are either managing things as an instrument to get something else, a different goal, or you're managing the things just to get those things. Just to get this. I'm not using it for anything further. I just want this. An instrument is being used for restoration. And an instrument is being used to grow God's kingdom, to advance it, to grow it in quality and quantity. Right? Instruments and ends. What are the believers in Acts doing? Right? They're managing their things toward that one common goal. They're managing their things towards the beauty of God and the truth of God and the goodness of God. And God is working powerfully in them. And see, so many times we think, I don't like stewardship. It's money. It's my money. I made it. I don't want to give it. 10%? That's a lot. By the way, that's just the minimum that God says. But when we tithe, what are we doing? We're going, okay, God, you've given me this money, and I'm tithing. I'm giving you a percentage back, a minimum of 10, back to God and saying, here, I know that you're the owner of money. You have given this to me, and I'm trying to steward it well. Here. Here and you give it to the church. That's a command that God gives. You give your money to the church. You give the money for ministry. It's not so that we can have a billion-dollar, you know, complex. It's not so that the pastors can, you know, live these flush, cush lives. It's not so that we can be flashy and show off It's for the redemption and restoration of God's people. It's the common goal. Like, you are called to give. To what? To the common goal of restoration. It's as simple as I can put it. Okay? But you are called to give. And I know that's not like, I know people don't like that. But that's what the Bible says. And that's how we are to recognize that He is the owner and we're just managers and I'm giving you part of my money back to him, right? It's restoring the way that it's supposed to be. And so my question for you is like, are you managing God's things with that goal? Are you managing God's things as an instrument? Or are you managing God's things just to get stuff? They're supposed to be instruments, right? But we just make them our goals. And we work towards what I want. It comes about me, the kingdom of me, right? The me monster. Everything's about me. I had a friend who moved to Virginia and I called him a few months after he moved there. What's going on, man? How's it going? He's like, well, I'm trying to figure out where to send my kids to school. And I was like, I don't have kids yet, so uh, 
I don't have anything to tell you, but what's up? And so he's like, you know, we're trying to decide, do we send them to private school? Do we send them to public school? Do we homeschool? We're just trying to figure out how to advance the kingdom of God best. And I was like, what? Your kid? That's your child. Like, I was like, Sean, that's your child. What are you talking about? And he's like, yeah. I want the kingdom of God to go forward in my child's life and wherever he goes to school. And like, I have my mind blown. That even in parenting, this guy is thinking about how do I work towards restoration? How do I work toward advancing the kingdom of God? His goal was to, was to have his children be grown, restored, right? Like they're supposed to be. But then also as an instrument in their school to help the kingdom of God come to their school. I mean, that blew me away. And I was in such shock because we get caught up so many times with like, no, this is for me. This is mine. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to build my kingdom. This is about my significance. This is about my money. This is about my reputation, my comfort, and my ease. I'll do what I want with what I want. Right? We do this. And what I want you to understand is that you are called to use the things that the owner has given you to accomplish the same goal as the owner. And this is oh so subtle in our hearts. Whose goal are you working to? Whose goal do you use instruments to gain? Whose goal? And you might say, well, like, why would I ever do that? Well, I'll give you three reasons. Ready? I would say first, consider God. God the Father, who gives up his prized possession, his son. Why? So that the people who rebelled against him, the people who betrayed him, can be saved. And so his creation could be saved. He sends his son in to die to save humanity and to save creation. Out of his grace, out of his goodness, out of his mercy. Number two, consider Jesus. Talks about Jesus having everything in heaven. All the riches and the glory he had, and he gave it all away by coming to earth and dying and defeating sin and evil and death through his resurrection. Why would he do that? He had, he had all the riches. He had all the glory. He had all the love from God and the Spirit. Why would he do that? To get the one thing that he didn't have up there yet. You. You. He gave up his life so that you could be with him. So that you could be with God. He managed his life in a way that was towards the common goal, right? And you know where I'm going with number three, right? We don't often talk about him. But consider the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit comes down in Acts 2, 
comes to guide us in our lives as we manage things, and he's convicting us, he's pushing us, he's growing us, he's challenging us, he's by our side even when we don't feel like it. He's always working in us towards this common goal. He's trying to work in your life and in mine to make all things new, to make it the way it was supposed to be, so that you and I work towards this common goal of better truth and more beauty and more goodness in this world. He wants the entire world to know, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. He wants them to know about his redemption and restoration. He wants everyone to know the biblical story. And the Holy Spirit helps us take it out, helps us grow in quantity, but also helps us grow in our quality. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And right now, He's reminding us through His Word and Spirit what the common goal is. So those are my three points. God's the owner. You're the manager. You work towards the common goal. We had uh, a couple that we knew have something pretty much equivalent to an identity theft. And they got stranded with tens of thousands of dollars. There was nothing they could do, and they're just going, how are we ever going to pay for this? I don't have $30,000. What are we going to do? And they're just distraught, and I'm like, of course you were. And what's incredible is they had this friend and this friend says, hey, will you go out to lunch with us? With him and his wife. And um, the couple says, yeah, I'll go out with, with y'all. We go all the time. As long as you're treating, we'll go. I don't know if they said that or not. but uh, They said that they sat down with their friends and they're talking and their friend said, okay, seriously? We know that you are called to ministry whether that's preaching from the pulpit or having more babies. We don't want money to be a hindrance for you. And they slid a check across the table and they turned it over and it was for the amount that they had been taken. Right, and the wife is just crying She's losing it. The husband's losing it. And like, he doesn't know what to say. And like, that's a big deal if a preacher doesn't know what to say, right? I mean, when they're speechless, something big is happening. (laughs) But that's what happened. And they're just like, oh my gosh, how can we thank you? How can we thank you? And they said that the couple was like, don't thank us. Thank God. That's God's money. It's not ours. We're trying to steward it in a way that's pleasing to him. Pardon? That's what they said to them. We said, we don't want this to be a problem. Let's collect our gifts together, and here's a check. And see, I feel like that couple understood. This is, God owns this. God owns my money, but he owns everything. 
And if we start to begin to understand that, and we start to begin how we have been called to be responsible for His things, we're called to manage His things as instruments, not ends, as instruments for the common goal, right? If we understand that we're working toward the common goal of the biblical story, only then will we be able to let our possessions go, right? Only then will we be able to gain that freedom from our stuff that you and I so badly desire if we really admit it. It's only then that we'll be free from this illusion of control and we're working towards the common goal of the biblical story, of where all of this is going anyway. <laughs> but we're working with God as, re as restoration is happening and one day will finish happening, and he gives us glimpses into it now. And so we're working with God's things as managers towards his goal. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to look at it together. Lord, please bless um, the things that we have been learning and the things that we heard this morning and in all of our lives, will you please use them in Jesus' name. Amen.